last week we talked with Dr. Sean Baker about different aspects of the carnivore diet and the quality of meat raised on pasture versus raised indoors. This week we explore the impact of modern food sourcing on humans. Is seasoning meat yay or nay? And how do carnivores take a poop? That's coming up next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. So I'm sure you've heard that as you age, it gets harder to lose weight. Well, that's total bull because my friends, Laura and Veronica Chows, they can prove it. They're a mother-daughter duo, and they've lost 125 pounds between the two of them at ages 50 and 20. And they've kept it off for over two years without starvation, deprivation, or hunger. So now you can learn their system and a whole lot more with a free 10-day trial to their online membership They'll give you the diet, the recipes, classes, and more. Sign up today at nutritionheretic.com forward slash utmost diet. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the Nutrition Heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. You know, when we talk about uh, the issues that people are having with vegetables, we talked about the gas and the bloating. Um, in, in some people, it shows up on their skin. You know, it's it can be contributing to just all those diseases you just mentioned, right? Um, and those all appear to, to vanish when people adopt the carnivore diet. Now, this is a theory that I've been working on. And tell me what you, you know, if, if you've encountered this, if you feel that there's any, anything plausible in it. Um, in addition to the animals, you say, eating down the grass and converting the amino acids into a form that humans can consume. Um, I've actually looked at this in recent years as well as uh, that... When people, sorry, when, when the animals are eating these uh, grasses, for example, that they're actually converting them into almost like, a, like the, the theory behind vaccines, which is that they're converting it into a form that the human can now communicate with the, their local environment. Uh, because, you know, of all, all the changes that we talked about that have happened over millennia, it's really just in the last hundred years, um, you know, in addition to the invention of Crisco and, you know, the corn oil and all this. It's really just in that last hundred years where people stopped consuming food from their backyard. So now instead of getting meat and milk from, you know, one animal, we're getting it from like thousands of animals at one time. Um, instead of getting eggs from our locale where the chickens are, you know, eating the stuff that's that's growing naturally, the eggs are being shipped from 100 miles away. Do you feel that there's any um, a- any relationship with how humans have, you know, been reacting to food more and more? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a valid point. I think that, you know, 
animals, whatever kind of animal is, is going to evolve where its location is, whatever is in its environment. That's how these 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 things evolve, you know. And when the, you know, and, you know, you think about it in humans when it, when it got cold, when the ice age hit, their environment changed. They had to evolve, and so you adapt to your local surroundings, or you move, or whatever. So, I mean, certainly the fact that in the last hundred years, you know, just mass transport, the shipping of food all over the world, the fact that I can buy. Uh, fresh strawberries in January in, in, in Canada, you know, that those things are unnatural to the human experience, right? So, I mean, yes, I do think there's something there. How much of an impact it causes is unclear to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, but the other thing is, you know, at the same time, we have to start to realize we got a lot of people to feed. I mean, that, that we, you know, we can't all have a chicken in our front yard and a cow in the yeah. backyard. It, we just can't do it. I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, there may be a few people that can do it, but to feed you know, 9 billion, 10 billion people, whatever we end up with in the next 50 years, that that is unfortunately not going to be the answer. We have to face the reality is there has to be a way to feed all these human beings. You know, not not every one of us can be farmers. Not every one of us can go out and right. hunt for our food. It's, it's just not practical. So we have to at some point say, what is the, the, the realistic way? How do we, you know, we have to talk about economies of scale. We have to talk about efficiency. That has to be part of the equation. I mean, it'd be nice if, you know, we, you know, you know, we could magically say, you know, everyone has 50 acres to live on and we have all the animals to feed us and the berries to, that we can pick. But that, 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 that time has passed, you know, maybe yeah. on another planet, maybe when we colonize Mars, we can do that. But for now we have to figure out, well, how do we most maximize and efficient, efficiently do this with the least harm to the planet with the most nutrition and, and that's the challenge there. And so I think your point is valid. And I think, you know, for those people that, that are really concerned about that and, and you know, and you, if you have the ability to, to put a cow in your backyard and a pig in your backyard and have a, have a blackberry bush. Awesome. That's right. great if you can do it, but most people are not going to be able to do that. Right. So I'm more concerned about what do we do with the mass of humanity here? And so, and, and equally there are people that, on the vegan side, I think everybody in the world should eat, you know, eat a bunch of grains and, and beans and legumes and and we're all going to be happy. And I, I don't think that's a solution either. I think we have to figure out how we incorporate animals into the human diet and how to do it at scale and how to do it without, you know, without destroying the world. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And when I said that, you know, I, I didn't mean that each person should have one, but, um, you know, I, at least in the places where I've lived, uh, there's usually within you know, 50 miles or so, somebody who is, who is, has taken it upon themselves to raise those local animals. And it's a, it's a lot of getting to know your farmer kind of thing. No, I agree. Um, I agree know, with so. that. And I, I agree with that totally. Um, and I think that's a good situation. I think there, we, we should encourage that where possible, but it's still, well, they're, you know, they're cutting back on the farm bill for 2019. So good luck with that. Well, well <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's a problem. The problem is, you know, again, it's, it's a the economy of scale makes it really difficult because, you know, if you if you have a farm with ten cows, you know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna yield less product than if you have a cow if you have a farm with a hundred cows. I mean, you know, just you know, you're gonna require more resources per cow. You're gonna require more. You know, it's it's just it's just the way it works. I mean, we don't buy handmade cars anymore, yeah, uh, because it's just so expensive and so resource intensive. You know, we we're, you know, but so we buy cows that come from not cows. You buy cars that come from a factory <laughs> that are mass produced, just because there's so many people. And so, I mean, unfortunately, that's the reality of the world. Uh, and so we have to kind of figure out how do we, re- we reconcile ourselves with that. Mm. So I just want to touch on a couple of things that, that, you know, when I talk to people about the, the carnivore diet, there's a couple of things that, you know, there's that knee jerk reaction, like we talked about. Um, first of all, actually, before I get into that, I want to ask you, 
do do you season your meat? Because I've seen this, like, you know, we talked about being dogmatic or, or not. Um, I've seen people say, you know, I used, I, you know, made something with garlic and hot sauce and get reamed for, you know, because the other person doesn't even use salt. Where do you stand on flavoring the meat? And do you only eat beef? Are you also eating, you know, no, there's other I, people talking I, about I, eating duck and I, chicken i i eat, I eat mostly meat because i like it the most it's the most satisfying you know, most people that do this long term just kind of gravitate towards red meat and in beef in particular sometimes lamb i think that sort of more closely matches what we probably did growing up as humans but um you know i'll eat fish i'll eat shrimp i'll eat i'll eat some pork every once in a while i'll eat some chicken once in a while not that often i'll have a little i'll even have a little bit of dairy here and there I, you know, just, I like salt on my meat and that's what I typically do, but I'm not at all opposed to throwing some garlic on there or something spice. But the only caveat to that is, you know, if you have a particular health condition and those things bother you, then you just have to reconcile yourself to that. But if you, if it makes the meat more, again, I don't necessarily think that all plants are evil and bad. I, you know, I mean, that's, I think it's been misconstrued. I think that they can be for certain people, and I think there's problems. I mean, we, we have this sort of, you know, we should fruits and vegetables are completely benign and inert, and they, all they do is provide goodness. And I would say, no, there's oxalates and salicylates and, you know, phytates and, and, and you know, a whole list of chemicals that people have problems with that, that are in there. And some people tolerate them well, some people don't, so we just have to be cognizant of that fact. But so if you want to – if you know, spicing your meat makes it more pleasurable for you and it makes it more sustainable – I'm all for that. You know, I tell people, do what works for you. And, you know, even if you want to throw some mushrooms on there or some onions in there, you know, that is fine for you if it works for you. Now, for many people, it just doesn't work. And I do think, you know, when you adopt this diet, there should be a period of time where you kind of minimize all the variables, you know, particularly if you're trying to solve a health problem. You, yeah. need, to, you need to get down to this elimination phase. And then you say, okay, I've done beef and water or whatever for three months. I'm at a baseline, and now let me let me add this back in and see how I tolerate that. And you either you'll either tolerate it or you won't, and you know you'll you'll get an answer with that. Not everybody needs to do that. I think that's more for people that are sick. Now, some people it's kind of funny because most people when they first started doing this diet, the people that sort of kind of became this community were all these people that were really really sick and they were desperate. I mean, who the hell is going to eat only meat unless you're friggin' desperate, right? Right. I mean, these are the people that first did this and, and they solved their health problems, and then they kind of made a little community, and then I kind of. I kind of got, you know, kind of involved myself in that community. And, started, and then I started seeing the tremendous benefits and the potential here. Then I got to promoting this. And so now I'm kind of where I'm at now. But I think the funny thing now is we're seeing a lot of athletes that have taken it upon themselves to try this diet out, probably because I've had pretty good success as an athlete with it. And so now we're seeing a lot of people that are actually improving their athletic performance quite a bit, you know, with this. And I think there's some reasons, you know, for that. I mean, I think better protein, better protein quality, you know, heme iron, there's, uh, there's creatine in there, there's carnitine, carnosine, uh, you know, it's not inflammatory, it improves recovery, there's less oxidative stress. I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons why I think athletic performance improves on this diet. Um, and so it's been a really interesting sort of dichotomy of people. There's people that are really sick that really need to be strict. And there's other people that are doing it for whatever reasons, lose a little bit of weight, but better athletically, try out a crazy diet and say, Hey, I'm a cool carnivore. You know, just, you know, I mean, there, there people are going to do that. There's no right, doubt about exactly. it. But, but I think, you know, I think here, and I think I already, I kind of covered this a little bit, but I think the majority of people that do this, you know, they will find that it works really well and they'll end up kind of staying 
pseudo carnivorous, you know, kind of carnivorous, dipping in and out, maybe spending a month here and there, you know, eating most of their food from 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 meat, and then just using plants as seasonings, as things to to increase the uh, enjoyment around meals. You know, you can even argue that glucose can be used in a drug-like effect. You know, you can use it right. for performance, and uh, um, and so I think that's where I think once you understand that, that in my view. Meat is human nutrition. You know, if I, if I were to say, if I were to ask you, what does a, a zebra eat? You'd say, you know, grass. And if I'd say, what does an elephant eat? It eats trees and grass. And if I'd say, what does a, a lion eat? You say he'd eat the zebras. And I'd say, what do humans eat? And you'd say Twinkies, Ho-Hos, Doritos, <laughs> Gatorade, you know, because it's whatever's available right. to us, right? But I mean, what what do we actually, you know, what did we eat 50,000 years ago when, when we didn't have all this variety and we didn't have food companies making hyperpalatable food and selling us this stuff and targeting us and, you know, you know, kind of shoving it down our throat and advertising 24-7? What did we eat back then? I would say that, you know, a human being can, can thrive on just meat, and I think that's probably human nutrition. I think the rest of the stuff is more kind of, you know, it's just kind of bonus material. And, and sometimes it bothers. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. Right, right. Yeah. And um, we do, we definitely when it comes to pets and you know raising animals, I have two goats. Um, and people are much more fussy about what they will feed their animals than what they are. You know, they like you said, um, we're, we're much more accepting that the human animal can digest anything. Um, whereas, you know, I've got cats, I've got goats, I've got chickens, you know, like each of those animals, they each require something very different. And I wouldn't think to give it any of them, and they know better, <laughs> luckily, um, to, you know, eat something that's not right for them. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is the thing, you know, if you put an animal in the wild, I mean, they're, they're, not, they're generally not going to have chronic disease. I mean, they, they might get injured, they might get an infection right. or something like that, but they're not going to have heart disease or typically not going to have cancer. Uh, they're not going to have diabetes. They're, they're going to eat what, what, what's designed for them, what's appropriate. And no one is sitting there, standing there with a table saying, this is the this is a recommended daily allowance of this nutrient. They're, they're, they don't need a calculator to eat. No one gives them a menu. I don't give my dogs a menu and say, what would you like to de- eat today? I mean, I give them the same old slop every day, which is, I just give them a bunch of meat for my dogs eat. And they're happy as can be, they're healthy as can be, and, and they don't have to think about it. And I think that is how nutrition should be. It's just... You know, I don't think, you know, think about it. You and I breathe the same air every day. I mean, maybe your air in Hawaii is nicer than my air. But, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't sit there and think I need to have multicolored air or different flavored air to, to breathe every day. It's just it's just normal. It's, it's a normal function. And I think nutrition should be that way or can be that way. Now, we, we've, we've, you know, there's a lot of cultural and social stuff and entertainment stuff that's around nutrition. You know, we socialize around that and, and that sort of stuff. And that's a different issue. But just from a nutrition standpoint, it should be something we don't need to think about. You know, we should eat when we're hungry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that. I mean, you think about it. what other animal sits there with a stopwatch and says, "Oh, I'm intermittent fasting. I can't eat until you know X amount of hours." I mean, they just eat when they're hungry, and when they're not right. hungry, they don't eat. And I think that is how animals are designed. And human beings, in my view, are still animals. And I think we we can find something that's very simple. And that's what happens with a carnivore diet. I mean, most people just they 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 eat a bunch of meat till they're full, and then they don't eat again till they're full again. And it works really, really well. And I think that right. that that is very powerful. And it's very freeing for people because a lot of people say it's so restrictive. you know. But at the same time, these people all of a sudden find out that I don't have to plan meals. I don't have to calculate. I don't have to. I don't have to obsess about this and that detail. I just. I just eat when I'm hungry and I enjoy the food. Most people enjoy a nicely cooked steak, mm-hmm. um, and so it becomes almost very freeing for a lot of people. It's, it's kind of funny. You get this paradoxical sense of freedom from eating just this 
you know, basically one food, which is which is very interesting. Well, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan like you were saying. You just, you know, as long as you have it on supply, uh, just throw it in a frying pan or in the grill or whatever, and, and you're done, right? Um, so l- before I let you go, just a couple of questions that come up for people um, is, one, pooping. Yeah. How you know what's what's going on there? I've heard I've heard everything from I got constipated, which is what happened to me when I tried it. Um, I might go back and, and try it again because it's actually not very different from several other um, you know diets. Well, obviously, you know the the, the probably most notorious one uh, would have been Atkins, at least the early stages of Atkins. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know what's yeah? I've heard everything from constipation to runny. Diarrhea. Yeah, 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 those are all common. So let, let's talk about a little bit digestive function. So one thing we know, and we, we know that in the literature looking at patients that have ileostomy. So patients that have an ileostomy or patients that have had their colon removed, and so they have a little pouch. So their small intestine is connected to a pouch instead of a colon. And so when we watch what happens to those people, when they digest meat, it is almost completely digested. Only a small amount of a little bit of liquid comes out. And so what happens is you're used to these big sort of fibrous bowel movements because that material is undigestible and it just kind of passes through us. And so we don't have that anymore. So what happens is instead of true constipation, constipation means you're full of material, but you can't get rid of it. Right. Most people, will they just don't produce anything. And so a lot of people, it takes them three, four, five days a week, maybe sometimes 10 days before they have their first bowel movement. It's just mm. because there's no material anymore to get rid of. There's nothing you're wasting. You're absorbing all that nutrition rather than you know, flushing it down the toilet. And so that's what happens initially for many people. That's that's the misconception for most people have. Now, that, now, conversely, there are people that will find that they have uh, loose bowel movements because, again, like I talked about, what goes into the colon now instead of this semi-solid fibrous mass is now all liquid going into the colon from the small intestine. And so what hap- the job of the colon or one of the jobs of the colon is to reabsorb fluid and electrolytes. Well, if it's been used to seeing fibrous stools for for 20 years there's not as much fluid it has to deal with Mm -hmm. relatively so it's not very efficient at that think about it when a baby is born it's breastfeeding it's or getting formula sometimes you know it has you know formed stools you know it has it has you know semi-solid stools because the colon is reabsorbing some of the fluid even they're on they're on a hundred percent liquid diet and so what happens is the colon is still seeing a hundred percent liquid diet now and it just takes a while for that uh, for that sort of mechanism to kind of wind back up. It's like an athlete that's out of shape that's been sitting on the couch for 30 years and you go, hey, let's go run a marathon now. He's not going to be able to do it right away. He's got he's to get back that capacity. So it mm-hmm. takes people, you know, you know, when I'm talking about loose steels or diarrhea, it takes people, you know, a couple weeks to even a little longer for that to kind of settle down. That's generally the case. And now there's certain foods tend to cause the issue. Some people will find that eating a little more fat in the diet will help move the bowels a little better. Right. Some people will find that things like eggs or pork tends to make them have a little more diarrhea. Sometimes back to seasoning, some people will find that uh, seasoning and spices will, will precipitate a bout of runny stools or diarrhea. And so mm-hmm. I've seen that with myself, you know, I'll go out to eat at a restaurant and they'll put a bunch of spice in there. And the next day I'm like, Oh man, you know, right. <laughs> it didn't work too well, but, 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 but I, that, that's what's going on. It's not that, uh, uh, you know, you're not designed for because humans are really well designed to absorb meat. It's just if you haven't been doing it uh, without fiber for you know decades, it just takes a time to adjust to that. Right, right, yeah. Because I was definitely I, I I really feel like for me it was actual constipation because I was also not like letting go of water and I was getting waterlogged. I could feel my stomach just like filling up. Like I would I would be extremely thirsty, but then on top of it, I just felt 
waterlogged and my legs got very heavy um, with water. And as soon as I ate a little something, I forget, I think it was a uh, pumpkin. Then all of a sudden it was like, everything just came out. All the water just, <laughs> just, just moved. So something's going on there. Yeah, it could um, be. I mean, there's certainly like, I, I don't know if you've been on a ketogenic diet before, but there's certainly some fluid and electrolyte shifts that occur, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you drop the carbs out of your diet. Right. So you have to, you have to manage your electrolytes a little bit. Um, you know, those things happen. You know, there, there are people that, you know, again, that, that don't have a great capacity to digest meat, particularly in the upper GI system, you know, because their stomach acid production has, has uh, decreased, mm-hmm. um, you know, over time. That's, 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 that's a, well, we often consider that a natural consequence of aging. I'm not sure. I think that's probably a consequence of probably disease. And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily aging because I think there's people that maintain that very well throughout their life. And so those things can be a problem. Some people have to add supplements like hydrochloric acid supplements, like betaine hydrochloride, uh, lipases or even bile, bile supplements, you know, those things sometimes have to be done initially for people that have a difficult time digesting meat. I think if you can't well digest meat, then there's a problem with your digestive system. I mean, right. I, that's what I think. I think yeah. you're designed to do that and you should be able to do that well. Uh, but I think many people have, you know, it's kind of interesting. If you look at the group, the paleo medicina group, who's done some of the research around this carnivore diet out in Hungary, where they're where they were, they're they're dealing with autoimmune diseases and some of the other things. Mm. What they're seeing is about 80 percent to ninety percent of the of the healthy normal population have some level of gut dysfunction with regard to gut permeability. You right. know, just walking around there, even though they feel normal and they're healthy, they still have some degree of dysfunction, and so. You know, most of it, it's subclinical. We don't notice it. I mean, like when I when I changed my diet, I had had, you know, what what I thought was normal digestive function, you know, but then when I realized it got so much better that that it, maybe it wasn't normal. You know, right. we kind of we accept suboptimal as normal, you know, because it's so common. Exactly. But I, but I think when you find, when you discover, wow, my the things I thought were normal, like, you know, when you get older you kind of you kind of expect to have some achy joints and creaky knees and a little bit sore back and i was developing that stuff you know i'm in my 50s now okay. and now i'm dunking basketballs and doing backflips and breaking world records on the rowing machine and deadlifting 500 pounds for reps and stuff like that and i don't hurt at all i have no joint pain none of that stuff it went away so what i had normally accepted as this is normal aging and then when that all went away i'm like wait a minute this is very different. Now right. I get to play like now I get to play like I'm 20 years old again, which is really cool. I mean, right? That's yeah. One, one thing. That's well, one of the reasons so many people like this diet because they, they they experience that and they're like, wait a minute, this is the best I've felt in three or four decades. And well, so, yeah, it's interesting. This is this is actually a problem I've been having with the medical industry is that it's it's completely designed uh, to expect the human body to fail. Uh, and it's and it's focused on the shortcomings of the human or what it would like to see as the shortcomings of the human body, as opposed to, um, you know, the rule number one that you learn in medical school, which is homeostasis, that, you know, your body's always trying to balance things out. And, you know, if you're not putting in the right stuff, it's not going to balance out in the direction you want it to. <laughs> so it's got to, you know, it's, it's got to, uh, you're going to have to you know pay for it somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, the the unfortunately, we have kind of as a medical as a healthcare system, we have. I mean, it's kind of because we've got so many sick people now, and we've got such a such a you know whether it's diet, whether it's environment, we have such a, a, a environment that produces sick people. Yeah, and I don't think we're well trained to deal with that. We we don't know how to fix that. We don't know we don't know what the causes are, and so medicine really is all about 
uh, symptom management. It's, it's, it's disease management. It's putting on expensive band-aids. You know, when I was doing joint replacements on people, yeah, I mean, I made their knee arthritis feel better, but I didn't fix the problem. I mean, the next year they'd be back with their other knee yes. because they still had the disease. They still had the, the metabolic disease, which manifests itself in the joints as arthritis. And so because I didn't fix the disease, they got another expensive bandage. And, you know, they, they were happy. They felt better. They were out of, they weren't as much pain. But what I should have been doing is saying, Let's fix the, the the ongoing problem so you don't need all these damn surgeries. Yes. You don't need all this stuff. And so that is the problem that most physicians, they don't have the they, – one, they don't know. I mean, they, they haven't they, – they, they don't step back and look at the big picture. They're so compartmentalized and we've got specialists. We've got, you know, left ear specialists and right eyeball <laughs> specialists. I mean, it's gotten crazy. No it one, really you know, has. You know, no one looks back at that stuff. And the poor GPs guys, I mean, they're so overwhelmed that they've got five minutes to spend with their patients. Exactly. So it's really a system that's designed to not produce, it's designed to produce very average health in a lot of people. You know, right. it avoids it avoids some complete disasters and can deal with disasters and keep people alive, but it does not promote health. And I think that's a, a big distinction. You don't go to the doctor to get healthy. You go there to not become acutely dead. I mean, I think that's you know, I mean, that is probably what happens. And unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of money in that system. There's a lot of money tied up in that. There's a lot of people profiting from people being sick. And, I, you know, it counts, sounds a bit cynical and, and, and jaded to do that. But I was in that, that, that system for many, many years. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's frustrating. It really is frustrating as a physician that you're like, you know, uh, you know, you're making your career off of a bunch of sick people and then, you know, you're trying to help them honestly, but at the same time, you're not doing what you should do. In my view, I think you should, we should not have, my goal is for no people to ever have to see a doctor. You know, right. I mean, that would be a, that would be a great goal. I mean, that would be, you know, that would be, oh, that would be totally, you know, unless there's some acute trauma or they're having a right, baby. Exactly. Like well, that. and that's I mean, what it used to be right before, well, I mean, before yeah, corn yeah. oil, um, right, right, <laughs> cardiologists yeah, sure. only yeah. saw people, right. you know, Right. I mean, that's where it used to be. And, and, you know, again, can we get back there? I'm, you know, I'm certainly hopeful, but I but I'm also realistic about it. I mean, there's 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 a lot of money and there's a lot of, you know, gosh, there's a lot of advertising. (laughs) Yeah. Well, somebody was telling me not that long ago about I think it was the book Think uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, where he discusses, um, I believe it was Henry Ford Uh, was no, not Henry Ford, Rockefeller. It's a, it was John D. Rockefeller uh, wanting to make healthcare the next, you know, big moneymaker. And that's kind of where our system was, was the foundations of our system uh, apparently go back to that. You know, this, you know, how do we scare people into doing what we want? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, if you look at, uh, I mean, I looked at the federal lobbying statistics, uh, you know, I think from last year, and it was like the number one federal lobbying money comes overwhelmingly like triple anybody else was was a pharmaceutical industry i mean they they, they kick yes. in just tons of money uh, and then then right behind that was the health health insurance industry and so and then you know so it's like it's like you know you know there's a lot of money in this stuff and so unfortunately for you and i and most of us out there just trying to make it through life uh we got this we've got some hurdles in our way and For sure. uh, you know i think the nice thing people like you know you're getting some messages out there i think social media is really disrupting this i really yeah. do i think people are getting their information from new sources there's i like the term the democratization of medicine mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that are coming up here and saying and this, this carnivore movement is, is is in part of that is they're saying wait a minute i you know i got better when i did 
this instead of what they told me. And then and, and, and all of a sudden you've got now 10 people, now 100, now thousands of people all singing from the same song sheet. And some people will say well, it's mass hypnosis, it's placebo effect, but I think there's something there, and I think there's some there's some gold to be mined in that in that sort of framework. And I think people should use social media as a way to really advance our knowledge and advance, you know, the the, the health of humanity. And I think we right. we're getting there. Well, I see some people saying like, "Don't get your information from the internet." And on the one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I'm saying, "Well, you know what? If the standard practice." worked and doctors listened more to the needs of their patients, people would not need to turn to the internet to get this information. Well, I mean, it's, it's, mar- you know, the market, the market is going to dictate, you know, I mean, ultimately people want results and exactly. I mean, you're going to go wherever you get results. And totally. I, again, you know, you don't need, uh, you know, you can tell if you're sick. I mean, in many cases, I mean, if you're depressed and you're overweight and obese and everything hurts, you know, you can tell that, you know, and then, and then when that goes away, you're like, wait a minute, I did this and it went away. I'm better. I mean, that, that, that doesn't take randomized control trials and, and, and millions of dollars of research money to do that. I mean, the average person, I think, you know, I think it's important for us to do some research and do that stuff and spend the money there. But I think the most important research uh, uh, study is the one you do on yourself. And I think totally. that's very important. You should empower yeah. yourself to do that and find out what works for you. Yeah, and that's that's a huge problem too because I do know uh, way too many physicians uh, of all strata, you know, who uh, they rely on the 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 um, uh, the studies, but they don't rely on their own patient population. So they don't hear that this, these patients are saying, "Hey, doc, I tried this thing and I'm getting better." Instead, they're like, "Well, you know, there was a study that said that's bad for you, so you shouldn't be doing that." Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that, that is a shame. It is, it is backwards. Well, you know, I do have other questions for you, but I know that you've got to go. I've also got to go. Um, thank you so much, Sean Baker. Uh, you have a book coming out. I do. Yeah, it's the carnivore diet. Simple. It should be out. I know it's available for pre-order on Amazon and awesome. I think Barnes and Noble. So you can just you can just look up carnivore diet, Sean Baker, MD. Uh, you know, I've got, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. I think Twitter, it's S Baker MD on Instagram. It's Sean, S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R-1967. I've got a nice website called meatheels.com where we have people that are submitting their, you know, pretty, pretty darn impressive stories about going on a carnivorous diet and, and reversing a lot of disease, which I think is worth people looking at and might inspire people to try it. I may try this again. Actually, well, I'm, you know, I am going to try it again yeah, because you know, I, I feel like it's it's got something in there for me. Well, try it. You know, I would say, Adrian, I would say, give it minimum thirty days. And, oh God! And preferably, <laughs> you know, okay, no, okay. no, preferably, preferably if you could do it for sixty to ninety days, that would be a, a fair test of it. And then if it doesn't work, then say it's not worth it's not worth it for me. But I think it's something you can use as a tool in your tool chest. For sure. Um, and but I mean, I, to, to be fair, I think you, you need to give it, you know, a little bit longer time and, and you need to adapt. And if you need any specifics, just hit me up, or, you know, send me an email or something like that. Awesome. I'm always happy to do that. Um, I'm doing, you know, I do some consultations for people. I, I've got a lot of people that have specific issues. And so I, I have consultation stuff that people can hook up with me on that stuff. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. So that is kind of where I'm at these days. We've got the World Carnivore Tribe on Facebook. We've got a little over 20, I think we're at 21,000 people wow. right now. We started in January. We already got 20,000 plus, and we're growing by 100 plus people every single day. More and more people doing it. There, there's a good community that supports people 
uh, for that. And then we've got the vegan recovery group for ex-vegans. I know. It's, 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 well. I, mean, you say, I would tell people about, you know, the recovering vegans that I, I work with. And they're like, you just make it sound like it's a drug group. And I'm like, but it's true. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's what they're trying to, um, you know, get, get their health back from. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, exactly. And yeah. like I said, I think do what works for you is the ultimate message here. And I think I think a carnivorous diet might be not guaranteed, but might be the solution for you. And I think it's worth trying. It, you know, if nothing else has, has worked and you're willing to do it, you know, like I said, you get to eat a bunch of wonderful steaks. And, uh, you know, I think it, uh, <laughs> you know, most people are pretty happy to sign up for that. And I think women in particular uh, have been so brainwashed to eat the salad with mm-hmm. the dressing on the side and a skinny piece of chicken breast and, and sit there and be completely unsatisfied and bloated. And I don't, I don't think that's a way to spend your life, you know. And so I think women, in, in, even more so than and men probably need to up their protein and up their meat intake, in my yeah. view. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been trying to get uh, a French doctor, Alain Delaboe, on the show, and he won't, I don't think he understands what a podcast is. The French don't really <laughs> do a lot of this stuff. Um, but he is, he's, he designed a diet back in the 80s that was, um, you know, kind of probably where a lot of your adherents, you know, that, that, uh, go off the diet eventually end up, which is, you know, it's like he, he focuses on cholesterol for the breakfast with just a tiny bit of, of, like you say, bread or some other kind of grain. And then lunch is a half a pound of meat or, you know, red meat usually, uh, with, um, a a small amount of a starch, like a potato, you know, like more of a vegetable type starch. And then he has a, a little like nuts and fruit, and for like your tea time afternoon snack. And then for dinner, he's like, eat all the fish and chicken you want with like a tablespoon of salad. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's not, um, it's, it kind of points to this not being that radical. Uh, yeah. especially because back in those days, particularly Europeans were not on board with, you know, kind of what we look at as these extreme diets. But he was kind of going back to, you know, how do the French really eat? You know, what, what's, you know, what was, uh, you know, before people had all these diseases, how were people eating? And, and he also re- has reversed numerous, uh, you know, helped people reverse numerous, um, health issues and, you know, look younger, lose weight at 80 years old that they hadn't been able to lose all their lives and, and stuff like that. So, you know, there's definitely a place and, you know, to look at these, these types of diets. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities there, and I think you know, if it works, it works. That's great. You know, I don't think we should we should we should uh, discount anything that actually gets results, and I think that's ultimately what we're after. Right. Um, you know, I, I just look at you know when I like the like ketogenic diets and people talking about the benefits of that, and I, I just kind of, I say, well, how was how would how would ancient man prehistoric man have been in ketosis and I and I and I look around and I see a bunch of mammoth bones and I'm saying aha yeah <laughs> exactly hate, they, they hate these big fatty animals and that's how they did it so I mean again you know what what was realistically done I mean they weren't eating quest bars and they weren't sucking down MCT oil I can tell you that right or, or, or butter coffee I mean that that wasn't happening so I mean you go like that well if it's beneficial and, and there's some reasons to think that then you know maybe maybe they did that and if fasting is beneficial if there's this whole thing about autophagy well what would what would how would a man likely have fasted? Would he have sat there with a stopwatch, or would he have gorged himself on a bunch of big mammoth meat and then not eaten for a day because he was full? I mean, I mean right. that to me makes a, a reasonable way of how that would have been done. But right. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, and, we'll yeah, make, we, we could talk forever. I can tell. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> let, maybe we'll do a part two down the road. Maybe after the book's out or something like that. I think this might be a two part as it is. <laughs> All right. right. Well, thank you so much. Again, his name is Sean Baker. That's S-H-A-W-N-Baker.com. Ironically, his last name is Baker. Um, So (laughs) 
I'm sure you hear that all the time. Thank you so much for your time. The book, The Carnivore Diet, look for it on Amazon.com. And uh, we'll talk to you later. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McQueen. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, The Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. 